pension veterans, and everyone who's ready to change their lives. Welcome to the Christina Silva Show, educating our veterans live. Join your host, Marine Corps trained motivator, Christina Silva, as she connects with experts, innovators, and military heroes. Now, let's get started. Here is Christina Silva. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This is such an amazing show, and we are entering our 15th year. Last week, it was our ending of 14 years on the air, and we are so proud to be part of the Voice America Live family on the air. We seek to energize you with transparent and natural testimonies every week. I am just so thankful that I get the opportunity today to work with someone that knows about faith, family, and fortitude, because what it takes in the entertainment industry is guts and crayons. So we have an amazing <laughs> guest that will understand certain kinds his panties to his civvies, and he is going to stand by for a long and illustrious intro, A, because I asked for permission, and B, because we cannot thank our officers and our enlisted of the military enough. We cannot thank the police cars that scout our cities from LA to New York and around the world enough, but the world's media has a way of putting a twist on those that serve. And today we have a live candidate that will tell us the truth about these roles and why, because he's been in them. And he is an amazing captain of our United States Marine Corps and a fellow veteran. And I had the pleasure of meeting him and his wife, giving back with an organization that truly does know how to empower veterans, also to advocate, legislate for their rights. And today, the one and only Mr. Hiram A. Murray is on the Christina Silva Show live. And because we love technology, look at that smile on his face. <laughs> I created a few puns and meta tags. Reaching 160 countries, the 3.5 million listeners is what I'm after. And I have a dream today that I know my show with these voices that have come on the air and a small audience are setting me up for a larger plateau. Can I get an amen, Mr. Hyman A. Murray? Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is so great. Well, I still didn't figure out Zoom because I'm so spoiled by the engineers at Voice America that I'm actually putting you on live on the Christina Silva Show page. Okay. Because getting the live expression from guests is so easy to hide from. And you accepted the very first live airing of the Christina Silva show being on video and audio first ever Just I'm, I'm the, the first person thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's an and honor it's an honor I respect you for it Thank now you. you just rolled him back a laugh. I'm still trying to hold my back my laugh because I had to Google up what kind of colors out of the crayon box I would tease you with today. <laughs> but why don't you educate our veterans live about a crayon when it comes to the U.S. Marine Corps Double Dog Semper Fi Fam? Okay, so uh, we have <laughs> we have a running joke um, that, uh, and I mean it, it's true too <laughs> that our Marines uh, we love to eat crayons. Why? I don't know. It's that's that's just us. You know, it's it's funny. You know, fun fact, um, I did a, a, a film called Tango Down and uh, I, I was I was playing uh, um, a major in it and I was giving a, a briefing on uh, on a, a high value target. We we're getting ready to hit and in the background. You see a box of Creole <laughs> crayons sitting right next to my head. <laughs> it's the, it's it's just, you know. 
It's just something that uh, us Marines, we love to do. No other branch does it, you know, yes. so no other branch try to copy us. Yes. <laughs> well, we um, all do love Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So. so much camaraderie, so much to be thankful for in your career. We have to know a little bit of the inside detail about where you came from, which we know it's Brooklyn. But when I was researching your background, I found that Brooklyn today is one of the most wealthy communities to live in, but it has its edge with some of the deepest, darkest ghettos on the planet. And let's dispel the myth and talk about where you grew up and share with us your memories of New York as a kid. So, so, so the latter part of what you just <laughs> said about Brooklyn, that, <laughs> that's where I came from. You know, I, I, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. Um, I, I loved growing up in Brooklyn. You know, I love growing up in New York, period. You know, I, I was born in 1981 and, you know, growing up in New York City in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, there, when people say, New York City is the greatest city in the world. It truly is. And during that time period, you know, the whole city was our playground. You know, I, I grew up during an era where, you know, we, we didn't have video games like that. I didn't get my first video game until I was like 10, 11 on Nintendo. So for those first 10, 11 years, I was outside. The moment I learned to walk, <laughs> you know, and I went all over. There was no no restrictions. It was, hey, just be back by dinner time. You know, I didn't even have to say where I was going. You know, we I'm I'm pretty sure it was as dangerous as it is today. But we just didn't know, you know, via social media and all that other stuff, you know, that was highlighting the dangers. We didn't have that growing up in the 80s and 90s. So our parents just let us do whatever we want. And we got into plenty of adventures. I mean, you know, in the, in the early 90s, you know, when I was a teenager, I was two o'clock in the morning. You know, me and my best friend lived next door. We get bored. We'd hop on the number three train from New Lots and we'd head down to 42nd Street in Manhattan. And there was this video game place called Barcode. It was open 24 hours. And we would just go play video games at like two o'clock in the morning because we were bored, you know? Now, if my kids decided to walk out the house at two o'clock in the morning, we'll have a problem, you know? But, you know, it, it, it was a different thing, you know? Like, I, I, I saw a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have seen growing up, you know? But all my experiences and stuff made me the man I am today, you know? And then, you know, I look back on a lot of stuff, you know, and hindsight's 2020, you know, it was, it was stupid, you know, and I, and I use, I use those experiences to, you know, teach my kids and, and, and point them in the right direction. I remember now that I'm thinking about it, as we're talking, when I was in fourth grade, I went to, um, I went to PS202, PS stands for public schools. Um, and uh, this was also East New York, Brooklyn. And right across the street, there was this abandoned home. And I remember we would always see from our window, our homeroom window, there was this old lady and she was doing like witchcraft and voodoo, right? Mm -hmm. And me and my friends were like, oh, we want to go see what she's doing, right? So as soon as the bell rang three o'clock, we ran across the street. She wasn't there. And this, like, this building was like falling down. Like it was literally about to come down. And there was, you know, I mean, the 80s was like the height of the crack epidemic in New York. So there's like crack vials all over the place and syringes, um, scalpels, dead animals, um, candles, bowls. And that stuff didn't frighten us. 
because this is like we see this all the time you know and then you grew up watching like the best horror movies came from the 80s <laughs> you know right, right. so so you know we grew up watching that stuff and it and it didn't phase us a bit until one kid went and told his mom and then she told the principal and the next day you know the principal went over because we dubbed it the witch's house and oh, the principal wow. went over the pa and was like for all you kids that are going to the so-called <laughs> witch's house if i catch you there you'll get expelled and blah 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 we didn't care. I mean, <laughs> you know, dumb stuff like that, that now, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 next month and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, if my kids did that, I would lose my mind. <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. We are still in the same age group of having the in some form of our life and we're music and outdoor recreation and oh, family life. Neighborhood watch was all great. Oh, and although I miss that. I know. Of our environment, oh my God. We still <laughs> can become everything or submerge and become prey to the wilds in New York City, like gangs, teen pregnancy, drugs, whatever have you. But wouldn't you say there was someone in your life special that prayed for you and that led you? What are some of your mentors from your childhood that you remember? And what did they say to you? First of all, I grew up and, and I still am a uh, Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Okay. And so um, my mom was a Sabbath school teacher. My dad was a head deacon. I was a church boy. We went to church all the time. So I had like the good foundation and like I grew up, you know, I, I was fortunate enough or blessed enough by God to have both my parents in my life. Um, and so like my mom, especially my mom, ever since I was, my gosh, maybe like four or five years old, like my mom, she, we even went to the same college. She used to take me when I was little to college with her. And I would sit in the back, in the back of the class on a blanket and play with toys while she would take her tests. And sometimes the professor will come over and play with me. And then, you know, like one of my favorite childhood memories is um, I, 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 I also graduated from city college, city university of New York up in Spanish Harlem. My mom went there and I remember after class, she would always take me to a diner across the street and she would always uh, buy me orange slice. It was orange soda. Oh and I remember that. And to this day, I love orange soda. And it was because that was like, all right, class is over. Let's go get my <laughs> orange Incredible. soda. That's so but, uh, but I had like, like I had great parents growing up and I had, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I was, I did bad stuff and I did wild stuff, but I was still a good kid at, at, at heart, you know? I was, I was a straight A student, you know, and when you're smart, you can get away with, <laughs> with doing a lot of stuff, you know, and I had great teachers, great teachers. I had one teacher um, named Anthony Vaccaro, and I, I'm still trying to find him to this day. Um, he, he, okay, so for my, how old are you in seventh grade? <laughs> 12, 12, okay, so um it was about to be my birthday's June 22nd. And that was coming down to the end of the school year because school in, schools in New York closed like June 28th, right? And I was smart and I always finished my work first. And so like I would talk to other people and try to be a class clown and stuff like that. And I would always just give him lip service. And one day, you know, he like closed the door and he had it out with me and he grabbed me and put me on the table and he yelled at me. And it was telling me, you know, like, 
I'm, I'm too damn smart to be acting stupid. And there's, you know, plenty of people out there that look like me that don't have opportunities that are given to me and I'm just wasting on blah, 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 you know? <laughs> and he made me, you know, like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I should chill out. You know, this guy only wants the best for me, you know? And that was like the first time someone like, other than my parents, so- someone outside of the family, you know, like grabbed hold of you and said, hey, wake up don't spoil opportunities that God is, that God is blessing you with, you know? And then like a week later, he, he threw me a, a surprise birthday party. We had a pizza party and we were watching Super Mario brothers and all that other stuff. And, you know, and then I had, I had another, another teacher in the same school who is now the principal of that school to this day, Anthony Yard. And um, I love Mr. Yard, you know, he, he would always, he always knew what to say to me, you know, and he would see when I started hanging out with the bad crowds or whatnot, and he'll put me aside. And then his way of trying to get me um, away from he'll give me extra work or stuff like that. Or our, our school had a swimming pool. So him and the swim teacher decided to make me the assistant swim instructor. So let's not let Hiram <laughs> go astray. Let's just, <laughs> let's just keep giving him busy, you know, idle hands of the devil's work, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, and, to this day, I talked to Mr. Yard and um, I was fortunate enough that last year when COVID first kicked off, you know, he asked me to to be the guest speaker at the graduation for, for, for the school. So I was, I was happy about that. Wow. Knowing where we came from and knowing where we're going truly oh. is powerful, along with principles of headship. And I named the show headship from household to Hollywood. You are an example of parental guidance and also being a neighborhood terror when you could get away with things before you knew that risk versus reward brings consequence and punishment brings reward. We are up close and personal with Hiram A. Murray. I love the benevolent brother. And I looked up your name, Hiram. It is actually a Hebrew word from the awesome Quora internet and Wikipedia shows your name means benevolent brother. Now, benevolence is having a charitable heart and also choosing charity over a profitable circumstance. So that is why you have bounty and beauty about your career. I really am so impressed. I want to thank you for certain acronyms I learned from listening to an amazing interview you did with Tanner Iskra on the Veterans Administration awesome show called Born of the Battlefield, right? You're number 183, the episode that talks about your career. And I thought, how can I trump this interview or at least parallel the excellence that that host did combining your story and encapsulating it into an hour? I can't. But what I can do is be a good listener. And so active listening is really important in what you did since you joined the Marine Corps. You actually schooled well first, and then you went into officer candidate school. So tell us about the day you decided to go into the Marine Corps and why. And then I'll interject some acronyms for you to define. Sure, sure, sure. Hopefully I remember all of them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, um, I actually fell in love with um, acting and filmmaking and the whole process. And I decided that's what I wanted to study in school. So I went to film school at City College and University of New York. Um, while I was in school, I also worked for the New York City Police Department. And 9-11 happened on my watch in my backyard. And I only had maybe a semester or two left of school. You know, and I was like, I'm going to finish what I started. 
And then I'm going to put everything on hold and I'm going to go into the Marine Corps and I'm going to serve my country. Mm. And that's, that's what happened. I, I went into PLC, uh, which platoon leaders class in uh, July of 2003, um, I accepted my commission in December of 2004. And I was active duty until two, um, 2008. And then from 2008, from eight to 2012, I went reserves. When I left active duty in 2008, I, at the time, LAPD used to travel around to, to all the military bases and mm -hmm. they would recruit you. You know, I had a top secret clearance, you know, I was physically fit coming out the Marine Corps and it was like an easy hire. You know, the average, the average civilian, it takes about a year and a half to get through like the background investigation and do all that other stuff to get onto the police department. Two weekends. <laughs> oh, I flew in one weekend. <laughs> I flew in one weekend. I did a, a physical test. I did a written test. Flew back one the next weekend. I had um, uh, the lie detector test, and then I had meeting with uh, the psychiatrist. Then they offered me a letter of employment, and I joined LAPD. And I was LAPD from 2008 to 2015. And by 2015, in my acting, my entertainment career, I got to a point where I didn't need a survival job anymore. By the grace of God, you know, gigs were coming in, residuals were coming in, and it was enough to take care of my family and I, and just to focus on to continue building my career in this industry. Fans, educating our veterans live is <laughs> an extremely soft scripted show. And we are now speaking with our guest, the Black Superman. He flew <laughs> into these roles and raised his hand in one of the most tumultuous times in our United States history with 9-11, the occurrence in his backyard, and then to join the Marine Corps and also to help our nation recover. He has sworn into more than three roles for our freedom today. We are smiling from ear to ear because we know the cost of freedom and we are unscathed. But with every Christina Silva show, you know, I take this very seriously. We salute you there, Hiram A. Murray, for your service. We can never thank you enough. But we can use our words today to remember our brothers and sisters in arms currently deployed serving on other lands, nations around the world. Israel is on a very high alert right now. We have so much that our troops do here with COVID-19, protecting the troops, our National Guard our Air National Guard, our Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, and Space Force, our law enforcement departments, our medical teams. We have to be thankful for clergy, people working around the clock, our caregivers. Someone has paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Our loved ones, man, every week, I don't know if it makes me birth new Americanism, but seeing a chocolatey face on the screen in over <laughs> 60 films, television shows, shorts, and now veterans powered films. Oh my gosh. It's empowerment. It's something that you can do to those that swear in to join the troops right now. Hiram, tell the world what it really means to have served and seen what you saw on duty for those years that you served. Thank you. I, my time in the Marine Corps, you know, other than meeting my wife and having my six beautiful kids, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life, you know, and it, and it's, it has made me the man I am today. Yes. It has focused me. It has um, given me purpose. It's, it's given me an unbreakable mindset that I take and, and I use to, to 
conquer every obstacle that life throws in, in my direction. Um, I'll tell you when my dad dropped my, okay, let me, let me rewind. Thank my you. father-in-law, my wife's father-in-law was a Sergeant major in the Marine Corps too. Um, oh, and he, he said, I'm going to drop you off to boot camp." And I said, okay, that's fine. So he dropped me off because he used to also be a DI. And we drive up to the gate, get out the car, drop my seat bag. And I, he waits, lets me give my wife a kiss goodbye or whatnot, pulls me over to the side, man to man, let's have a conversation. And I said, okay, dad. And he said, I'm going to give you one uh, bit of advice and it's going to help you get through the hell that you're about to step into. And I said, all right, Roger, that, what is it? He said, they should get tired of dishing it out before you ever get tired of receiving it. Mm. I said, what? He said, they should get tired of dishing it out before you ever get tired of receiving it. Mm. And now, not to, I mean, we're both Marines. So, I, you know, I'm not tooting our horn or anything, but we have the hardest and longest training out of all the military branches. Yeah. Okay. And you go through hell and back to earn that Eagle Globe and anchor. Mm. You truly do. And I would tell myself all the time, no matter what hell came my way, whether it was justified or not, because, you know, you get that whole team mentality. So if one person messes up, the whole squad is catching it. You know, I would always tell myself that they will get tired before I ever quit. And I took that mentality and I took it with me outside the Marine Corps. I took it to LAPD because here's the thing about what people don't know. LA and New York are two completely different places, two completely different places to patrol. I would say after 9-11, you being a police officer in New York, well, bar now, you know, for what's going on right now all over the world, being a after 9-11, you were a king in that city. The city loved you. That is the only silver lining in the whole 9-11 tragedy mm -hmm. is that it made the city come together as one family. So as for our first responders, especially our, po our police, oh, they loved us. They loved us. Now, when I got to L.A., it was a whole different story. That was after the riots. It was after Rodney King. So without even knowing who Officer Murray was, Officer Murray was getting spit at, bottles thrown, just mm. met with aggression the moment I stepped out of my vehicle, you know? So I go from being loved as a police officer to automatic hate, you know? Yes. But I told myself every single day, they will get tired of dishing it out before I ever get tired of receiving it. And that also helped me as a police officer because it made me focus on the community policing aspect of being a police officer, okay? I made it my goal as a police officer to change the hearts and minds of people in regards to mm. who police are. You know, I used to carry in my, uh, in my police duffel bag in the back of my car, I used to carry coloring books and gold badges because there's one thing that I always came across and I always had to stop a parent and correct. Anytime a child was acting up and I was driving by or on a footbeat walking around, the parent will always say, if you don't stop, I'm going to have that policeman take you away for misbehaving. And I'd have to, and it would just irk me 
because you are instilling in this child from a young age that I'm the boogeyman, that I'm something bad and they have to hate me when, no, my whole job is to serve and protect you, you. I don't even know who who you are, but I would run into a burning building for you. I would take a bullet for you to Mm -hmm. make sure you get home to your family. You know, that's my job. So I used to give out stickers, coloring books, and I love the whole community um, policing aspect of being a police officer because it was always with the mindset to change people's minds. And, you know, that reminds my my be- I saw that we have four minutes left. I wonder if I should start this story this now. This is the oh. director, actor, producer, screenwriter, <laughs> Marine, L-E-O. Come on, law enforcement officer, you. <laughs> yeah, four minutes. In four minutes, what I've learned by listening to your amazing testimony is that the light is shining, beaming from our foreheads that we want to tell the world. No matter your deepest, darkest hour, if you're listening to the show every week, I promise you it's me. I know it's Hiram from his career highlights of over 62 projects and so many in the making that you have the power to change your situation right now. I'm talking about close your eyes and say no more self-pity. Go ahead and tell him what your dad said when he dropped you off for boot camp. They will get tired of dishing it out before you ever get tired of receiving it. No matter what gets thrown your way, let them take their best shot. It's okay to fall. Fans, get up. Get Get up. up. Sometimes it's you (laughs) in your own head being the one giving it to yourself. Well, yeah choose to say enough is enough. I'm educating our veterans live today. I heard it on the show. Hiram said only one or two things about crayons and Easter eggs that changed my mind. It's just that simple. It's as dumb as crayons fans. You have the power to change your day. Right before the show, my hair was all up in a bun. I was feeling like, oh, no, I hope this man doesn't say yes to video. He said, (laughs) yes. I go, holy goodness. (laughs) Let me get the blow dryer and the flat iron. This is the big way my hair looks when I take 20 minutes to dry it. But like I changed my whole outlook on the show. And I'm thinking this is going to be powerful because listeners are coming to hear the raw and natural truth about life. Serving in the military, you've sworn in, you cannot just quit until your term is over. And no. if you accept <laughs> to serve, you're going to do it well. This is not a show to go recruiting or anything. It's just to say when someone is offering mentorship or a role for you or a way, sometimes life does not give you the plan or the template to follow. And when we come back on the second part of the show, we're going to learn about regiment and some of the organizations you can reach out to. If you want to heal yourself and you've served through the entertainment industry, I know I have on the air for 15 years, really cured myself uh, by learning how to change my mindset. And it's a harder feat than it is easy that you can do anything, right? Anything. Anything you put your mind to, as long as you tell yourself, they will get tired of dishing it out before I ever get tired of receiving it. That is powerful. (laughs) As powerful as Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, Hiram educated me while I was doing research and planning for the show keywords, research and planning for the show about having someone on your team. He quoted during his interview on that radio program with Awesome Tanner as the host. I'll never forget it. He says, you can go through hell and back when you have someone with you. Yeah. Oh, can you feel it? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that that's the life of a Marine. Thank I you mean, so much. <laughs> you, you put us anywhere in the world. 
you know, any situation, as long as we got our brothers and sisters to the left and right of us, we're going. We're Be going. encouraged, fans. We're going live <laughs> on Facebook for the second half with Hiram A. Murray, our amazing guest today, sharing his law enforcement career highlights, also his Marine Corps captain role of leading others and giving back to the community and sharing some of his greatest roles we all know about on General Hospital, Lethal Weapon, The Great War. We're going to talk about what is the tango down and how we can heal ourselves by coming together as a community like we did on 9-11. That spirit of the essence of unity can truly change our lives. Thank you for listening. And here are a few special messages and we will be right back with the second half of the Christina Silva show. I like it. Are you liking it so far? I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You're listening to the Christina Silva show, educating our veterans live. If you'd like to call in during our live show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. For more information about the show, email crsprods at gmail.com. That's C-R-S-P-R-O-D-S at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Yes, and we're back on the Christina Silva Show featuring Hiram A. Murray, our actor from Hollywood to household. He's sure about the greatness of his faith and also about his craft. Very much so. <laughs> Guess what? Marines never quit. And Hiram, if you're okay, I'm okay. We, hey, we adapt and overcome. So every single time <laughs> we are transforming. There's so much power on the line. Well, fans, we're going to get into the hotter part of the interview because every guest that comes on the Christina Silva show agrees to share a part of their lives with us from the lowest point to the highest point. So, you know, that we are humans and we also have night and day in our lives. So Hiram, if you can concentrate with me on a certain day and time with your buddy, your partner and your fellow comrade, take us back to September 14th. Oh. <laughs> um, September 14th, this was three days after 9-11. And um, what police officers go through every morning before where they get their orders for the day, their marching orders, it's called roll, roll call. It was, I forgot which building it was, but it was a Burger King and um, ha half of the Burger King was gone. Like it fell down once, once uh, building seven, I believe came down. Right. And uh, we would go in there. The, the firemen would have barrels of radios and batteries, stuff like that. And we would get briefings for the day on what we're supposed to be doing, looking for plane parts, searching for survivors, stuff like that. Uh, one of the things uh, that our sergeant pointed out, he was like, this is an engineer. He's wearing the white construction hat. If you see him run, <laughs> you have to run too. That means a building is coming down. So get the hell out of there, right? And we're like, okay, white hat, run, got it, check. So my partner and I, you know, we're carrying on our duties for the day. You know, we probably dug a, a nice three foot hole, you know, in debris. And I'm coming out of the hole and I see some firemen run past me. I'm like, what the hell? Then some police officers run past me. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Then <laughs> the building inspectors, the engineers run past me. Right. And in the distance, I look and there's a building going like this. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, oh, I drop what I'm doing and I take off. Now, about 50 yards away, I stop and I have that old crap 
my partner is in that hole and I didn't say nothing to her. So I turn, I look, the building is swaying even more now. And I run back to her and I jump on top of her and we're in the hole. And she's like, what, what, what? And I just tell her to be quiet. It's all right. It's all right. Just stay quiet. Just stay quiet. And in that moment, now I have, you can imagine with my three careers, I've been in enough, you know, death defying situations. But that was the most peaceful I've ever been in my life. Everything got quiet and my life flashed before my eyes. I, my wife had just had our second kid. And I said to myself in that moment, I have been a good son. I've been a good husband. I've been a good father. If it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And it is what it is. I have no regrets. I'm not even sad. Let's do this. And I braced for impact and I just held my partner for what felt like five hours, but it was probably like for five minutes. And then after about five minutes, I look up, the building stopped moving. God sent his angels. They held it in place. I grab her and we book it. And it, that, that's just something that I will never. It was the first time that, because even when I was little growing up, I've been at the bus stop. I've had people shoot at me just for fun. You know, I, I've, I've been in all this stuff. But I was always like frightened, you know, like, oh, I didn't want to die. I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get stabbed. I don't want to do this. But it was for the first time in my life. I was like, you know, I, 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 I did pretty good in life. So I'm OK. I'm OK. Whatever happens, happens. And to this day, my partner and I, we call each other every September 14th and say happy second chance. Because it was truly a second chance. And we will never forget that. That probably was the defining moment that made her my sister for the rest of my life. Like that shared experience. Thank you, know? you for sharing that. I'm <laughs> riveted. I'm just floored by your integrity and the willingness to run back. And, you know, have you ever thought about if you didn't run back, what could have happened? If you didn't give up your life as a sacrifice to run I, back to your partner? I, whew. That's, that's, I'm not built that way, you know, and I, mm. I can never, you know, like our families are so close, you know, uh, her mom in particular, her, her, her mom and my uh, third son, they have this, this relationship, they both wear glasses. So they kind of look like mini, like he's a mini me of her, you know, and I, I can't, I can never look someone in their face or, or her family. I can live with myself if I didn't do everything I possibly could. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, when it comes to success and failure in life, whether it's life threatening or, hey, I'm just going for this role. I didn't get it. I have to give it 100 percent. No matter what, I'm not afraid to look stupid in front of someone. I'm not afraid to fail. OK, because the only person I'll be afraid to look at is myself in the mirror, because I know I didn't give 100 percent. God never said that I'm going to be the best at every single thing, you know, and it's my failures that make me who I am. It's my failures that push me forward to be better, that drives me forward to be better. So I embrace my fail. I love failing. I tell my kids that all the time because you learn from your failures. I'm not afraid to fail, but I have to give it 
100%. I have to gauge myself. I have to push myself. And if I don't give it 100%, I don't know. Could I have done it? Could I? Should I? You know, like, I can't deal with that. Wow. You just described to me and demonstrated purpose. You demonstrated <laughs> purpose. Purposeful living can start right now. If you're listening and you don't wonder why you're here, don't wonder why you're here. You have purpose when you're listening. And these shows come to inspire you to search within yourself. How can I volunteer? How can I make more purpose in the corporate workplace? How can I utilize my military skills and training to start a new business? How can I learn to break into the entertainment industry? Well, we bring you subject matter experts every week that are willing to open up their private perspectives from the lens of Brooklyn on those streets to the yellow feet and then to Cherry Point, then back to college to become a screenwriter and a film director and an actor that we all know, the Black Superman. I'm just, I couldn't even believe it when I went onto the IMDb and I see your projects and I'm skimming through 62 of them and seeing where you've been. Did Damon Wayans make you laugh? <laughs> he did. He did. I, I, I loved working with him. Um, we, we have his, um, we have a mutual friend, Tisha Campbell Martin. Sure. She was his wife uh, on um, Me, My Wife and Kids, I believe was the name of the show. And, you know, it, it was a common bond. We started talking, you know, and we just we just had a ball. We just had a ball. You know, he's I, I respect the guy. He's funny. And when you when you guest star on a show and whatnot, like they already have their family, you know, so like film, film set ethics you know you you come on and you be as polite as possible you know you're allowing me into your home to play with you for however many days it takes for us to shoot this you know and you bow graciously and you move on you know and the sets that have that core family and they welcome you like no one has any attitudes no one like he's number one on the call sheet you know like he runs the thing so for him to take time out and be like hey you know come chill with me come hang you know let's do this let's just talk you know he doesn't have to do it but it's greatly appreciated and it also instills in me as an actor that when i'm number one on a call sheet for me to do that as well you know i i've i've, I've been fortunate enough to to be the lead in a couple of projects in, in in my life and when i'm not working I don't go back to my trailer and just, you know, call me when it's my scene or whatever. I stay there on scene, you know, I answer questions, you know, I hang out, I build that camaraderie with, 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 with my cast, you know, cause it makes a difference. It makes a difference. There, there's a director that I work with all the time. You know, he, he, he's, he's the Martin Scorsese to my Leonardo. Like we do all our movies. In fact, um, we, I'm getting ready to go film an, a movie next month with him um, about the first all African-American uh, tank battalion during World War II. And it's called Coming Out Fighting. And what I love about this director, Luke Stevens, is that uh, oh, his stage name is Stephen Luke, <laughs> uh, is, is that he always he flies his cast out like a week before we start filming and we just hang out. We go to dinner every night, you know, we go to a bar and we just talk and we get to know everyone, you know, so that when the cameras start rolling, the foundation for our relationships are already there, you know, and I, I've noticed in, in other productions that I've worked with, 
when you take the time to actually care about the people you're working with, the end product is so much better than if I just showed up. Okay, where is my mark? Okay, good. Boom. Got it. All right, I'm out. <laughs> yes, it definitely comes through on screen when you're already acclimated to a situation, yeah. but you bond with the people. And there's something special you can do to connect with anyone, basically, when you're outgoing. And so a lot of uh, veterans, when we get out of the military, we're either extroverted or introverted. I'm glad that you're an extrovert today, um, but you know how to be an introvert from some of the roles that I've also seen. And thank you for sharing the new project that's coming up. And I want to also say about your knowledge of history and knowing what service truly is that you get a chance to have therapy on screen. I'm sure that you reach back into certain things that you've gone through to muster out the courage to star in a film like you did as the lead actor in The Great War. So tell us about that set and how you transformed yourself into your character. So The Great War, uh, I also shot with Luke. (laughs) He was the director of that movie as well. Uh, the Great War is, a, was, was about World War I, coming down to the end of the armistice, which is the ceasefire. And um, I play a Buffalo soldier who got separated from his unit. And uh, the powers that be, uh, top brass, they don't want uh, the enemy combatants to capture an all-Black American unit because it'll be bad press for America. And at the same time, the Buffalo Soldiers, true to life, were such a vicious fighting force that they fought further than their white counterparts in the army. And so the powers that be didn't want that either. You know, we were still, you know, very racist time period. They didn't want it. Oh, okay. So this unit of all these colored boys, they they fought further than us. We need to get them back. Uh, So in that film, they use me as a runner to uh, I join an all white uh, unit to go find my, my brothers in arms. And we deal we the film deals with uh, racism. And at the end of the day, it's always one team, one fight, you know, just like, you know, in our real life, we're Marines, but you know, we all give jokes on the army Navy, stuff like that. But when every, when it all comes down to it, it's all one team, one fight, you know? So what I, what I drew from in my own personal life as a black Marine Corps officer, every unit I've ever served in, I was the only black officer. Hmm. So I knew what it was like to be by yourself. I remember when we would have uh, joint meetings with other units and I would be standing in the corner by myself. Cause I didn't, I didn't know these other officers that were coming in. But they all were, hey, John, hey, Tim, blah, blah, blah. They all went and hugged each other and whatnot. And then the moment a black officer came in, it's like he scans the room. He sees me. Hey! He goes over <laughs> and embrace, you know, because we know what it's like to, to, to be the only one, you know? And I'll tell you a quick story, too. When I was in boot camp, and I wish I could run down to my office real quick, but my boot camp pictures, I'm the only black Marine, Okay. And my drill instructors knew I was from Brooklyn, New York. And, and you know, you know, being from New York and Brooklyn, you know, they, they, you have this, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a badass type of mentality. So I had three gunnies surround me. And with their stogies, the brim of their hats, they would hit me. They was like, oh, you think you're from Brooklyn? I'll fuck you up, bro. And I had a black gunnery sergeant standing off in the corner. And this went on for about maybe 20 seconds. And I almost lost my bearing at the last second. I pulled back 
and they they left me because they couldn't break me. And the gunnery sergeant come came over to me. He was like, "Murray, do you see any black officers?" And at the time, I had never seen a black Marine Corps officer. And I said, "No, gunnery sergeant." And he was like, "That's because they don't. There there is none. They don't want you here." This is called the good old boys club. It was the first time I even heard that terminology, the good old boys club. Okay. And he said, they will do everything in their power to make you fail. Do not let them. And then once again, that whole thing from my dad came in my head. They will get tired of dishing it out before you ever get tired of receiving it. But what did I do? I took it. I took it every single day, all day long. And I asked for seconds. Because what happened once I marched across that parade deck, that brand new butter bars on it, they threw up those salutes. There you go, sir. Good morning, sir. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it is. So I, we say all of that too. I took from that experience of being by myself in every unit I've ever served in across my entire military career, always being the only black officer. And I, and I, and I use that in my, for, for my preparation as the character you know you stand off you do what you have to do let your actions speak for itself because people already have their preconceived notions about you the work is all that matters speechless so profound <laughs> Hiram A. Murray you shouldn't have I mean I'm so glad you did <laughs> the legacy is amazing you have thanked your mentors you have talked about your comrades on set those that have been in your childhood you talked about teachers and leaders and instructors that have impacted your life and it's time for orange soda in a few minutes uh, <laughs> know that a king like yourself would not be able to do it without a queen would you please give honor to those in your immediate presence that you would like to thank and be proud of on the Christina I, Silva show. I want to shout out and pay all homage and all due respect to, to my beautiful wife of 22 years, Felicia Murray, you know, and I, she, she, she's the commanding general in this house. And uh, <laughs> you can't, I can't achieve a fraction of what I've done in life without the support and foundation that is my wife. Okay. She has never, we've probably moved. I don't even know how many times we moved. I feel like every two years I got orders to someplace new and, you know, she would just pack up the boxes and she would march on. She never complained about anything, you know, and, you know, you'd come home and you'd be upset with the day and she's always a listening ear, you know, and she gave me the greatest the greatest gift. She gave me the greatest title. And that was being a father. And we have six beautiful children. And I call, I call her and my kids, my driving force, because it's not, it's not until you have others depending on you. Do you yourself make that change, change that mindset that it's not about you anymore. Everything I say and I do is a direct reflection and applies to my family. So I got to be this way at all times. I don't have time to, to, to feel sorry. I don't have time to, to quit. I have to keep on going no matter what life dishes at me. It will get tired of dishing at me before I get tired of receiving it. Specifically <laughs> because of my wife and my beautiful children. Most 
definitely. She has born two beautiful girls and four boys. You have to give them all a shout out for their amazing higher education accomplishments and <laughs> dreams of astronomy and maybe a marine or two in your bloodline. <laughs> Tell us about your kids, if you don't mind. So I have I have six kids. Uh, Hiram is t- Hiram the third. He's 21. Seth is 19. Uh, Isis is 16. Alexander is 14. And I have twin 10 year olds, Jonathan and Alyssa. Hiram, uh, Hiram is in the Air Force ROTC. He just soloed for his first time and he has goals of being an astronaut and one day going to Mars. Uh, Seth, Seth wants to be a history professor and be a Marine Corps officer. He actually wants to uh, complete his active duty and then transfer over to the Naval Academy and be a professor there while still maintaining his uh, military rank and service. Uh, my daughter Isis has aspirations of being a culinary specialist. That's <laughs> why she's making dinner tonight. <laughs> um, and uh, Alexander wants to be a fireman. He, he, he loves everything fire related. And the twins, they, they're they're flying by the seat of their pants right now. My daughter, however, and my my, twins. <laughs> my 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 daughter, she um she is aspiring to follow in my footsteps in this industry. She she has already so all my kids have been in commercials before. She has done the most work though. She has been in a bunch of commercials, and so she she loves that. And she she out of all the kids, she actually listens to me the most. So if, if one of them had to be successful in this industry, it definitely would be her. <laughs> well, I think you owe your photographer for your latest headshots a little oh, bit. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. And so my son, Seth, he also is a photographer. You know, my last couple photo shoots, uh, if you Google me or find me on any social media, it's Hire Me Murray across all platforms. You'll see my last couple photo shoots. It's from my son, you know, and so... Um, I have to have to be thankful to my community and the people I surround myself with. They see that my son, uh, photographers in the industry, see my son has an interest in it. And so they've taken him on his wing and he's an apprentice, you know, for, for photographers. And he goes out on set Thank and you. works and does everything. And then um, Luke, once again, I love this guy who's my director. I just finished shooting a movie with him um, back in March and it was called Operation Seawolf where I portrayed the real life first African-American Naval Admiral, uh, Samuel Gravy Jr. Yes. And uh, he did, he, Luke did a solid for me. At first, he put the, my son in my movie. He was one of my sailors under my command. And then he also had my son be the set photographer. So my son stayed on set with me and was taking pictures of the set and, and whatnot. And I think as, as, as any father, loving father, you want to all, always foster the things that your kids are interested in, you know, you always want to. So like my son says, I'm interested in photography. We'll take my picture then. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll put it out there in the world. I don't care. You know, come with me to work, you know, awesome. be, 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 be the onset photographer for one of my movies, you know, and the people I work with like, sure, go ahead, bring them in. You know, my daughter, I, w- I want to be a chef. Okay. Well, you're going to cook every Monday and Thursday or Wednesday. Today's oh, Wednesday, right? So, great. <laughs> so, so, so figure great. it out. 
Figure it out. Well, but you're making USAA, dinner. we want to thank the Murray family for gracing their faces on the USAA commercial. I happen to be a, an account holder, and we are accepting sponsorships and endorsements. <laughs> USAA, you are being called out today. What a great commercial. Hey, USAA, <laughs> I, I have nothing but respect for USAA. Yes. You know, I, I have done about five or six commercials with USAA and USA actually did one commercial that was basically my entire military career. So like in like the first scene, you just see me and my wife, she was pregnant. And then like the next scene, yes. they added my like two kids. And then the next scene, they added two more kids all the way up until the end of when I got out of service in front of a house and all my kids, USA has, has treated our family very, very well, and I have nothing but love and respect for them. Very well said. Well, we don't want to end the show. That's why we will be back next week on the Variety Channel at Voice America with more of the Christina Silva Show. But this week, we salute our captain without our covers, Hiram A. Murray, Marine to Marine, for his amazing service to our NYPD, our LAPD, our communities, and the Hollywood big screen. To Luke Stevens, and that's Stephen Luke, we look forward to your projects coming up in the future and throughout the pandemic. We know why you have flourished, because you put God, country, and core first. This is the Christina Silva Show, and we'll see you next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. live with more. God bless America, and be safe. God bless America. Thanks, Hiram. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Christina Silva Show. Be sure to check back for new episodes every Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon and Semper Fi. Paco's Tacos and Grill is conveniently located adjacent to the Strip and Nellis Air Force Base. Paco's Tacos and Grill's specialties are in catering for your next event. Choose Paco's Tacos and Grill at 3438 East Sahara Avenue, Suite 185 in Las Vegas. Burritos, tacos, platters, and more. Ask for Paco and dial 702-654-3193. That's 702-654-3193. Join our call to action and meet CRS, your host of the Christina Silva Show. Educating our veterans live is a community responsibility, and we'd like to thank our sponsors for their dedication and compassion for U.S. military troops and their families. Educating our veterans live with CRS, the founder of Cami's Two Civvies, mental health awareness, housing, employment, and higher education resources to the forefront. Tune in to the Christina Silva Show on the Voice America Variety Channel. We transform, adapt, and overcome from Cami's two civvies.